Hey guys, Jules here. So last month we launched our first four-part series on American Catholic fiction. We have been so excited, by the way, about the support for the podcast, and we've loved sharing these stories with you. From here on out, we will still be releasing four-part series, but we're going to start releasing them one episode a week. This will give us some time to make sure the episodes are just right (laughs) for release. Now, we just finished a series where we talked about a small but influential subculture, the Catholic literary world. And this season is really all about that phrase, subculture, and how we have created authentic subcultures within our modern American culture. And if we could define this era, this modern era, we often use this phrase, the digital age. So the question for us is this, what does the Catholic subculture look like in the digital age? And if, as we said last series, storytellers are essential to the revival of the subculture, What do these storytellers look like in the digital age? This next series attempts at least to answer just that question. And we find ourselves in the world of the Catholic blog. Now, the Catholic blog is the place where storytelling and theology meet head to head, basically. And the influence of the blog cannot and should not be understated. In fact, Catholic bloggers, particularly in America, are some of the most influential voices for the church today. And the church, as it turns out, is starting to take notice. The Vatican met with a group of bloggers of all ages that came from every corner of the world. The Pontifical Council in charge of communication accepted requests to attend and choose 150 bloggers based on their nationality, language, and the basis of their blog. That's right, just this past May 2017, as well as a few years before, an international conference of bloggers was hosted by the Vatican. And if there was ever a time to look at the importance of this medium, this is it. This is the story of the rise of the blog. Let's do it, folks. Let's jump head first into the world of the Catholic blogosphere. I'm Dr. Catherine Schmidt. My name is Father John Hollowell. My name is Jenny Eubing. My name is Tito Edwards. I am Jessica Mesman Griffith. Hi. Uh, My name is Simka Fisher. Now, these bloggers come from all walks of life. We're going to talk to converts and reverts and even a blogging priest. Their opinions, writing styles, and audiences all differ but they all fully embrace writing in the genre of Catholic blogging. But before we really dig into the world of blogs, I think we need to take a step back and understand how the blog got to be so popular in the digital age. And in many ways, the story of the blog is the story of this new digital subculture. And frankly, the rise of the blog contributed to this unique moment in history, specifically in our Catholic American experience. Because let's be honest, the whole idea of this podcast, not just this series, but the entire podcast, 
came from the divisions that I have watched play out in our digital communities over the years. And if I'm being really honest with you guys, I would say I approached this topic with a bit of pessimism. But thankfully, (laughs) throughout this journey and in researching this topic, I have discovered a couple of things. One, there's this discussion that we are constantly encountering within the church and outside of it that often bemoans technology or the internet. And we find ourselves sharing posts about the downfalls of screen time or the negative impacts of social media. But honestly, I think these conversations are missing the point. Because the main thing I've discovered, thankfully, is that the internet is a place of what Pope Francis calls a theology of encounter. Now we'll talk about this idea a little bit later. But all of this is to say that along this journey, I've discovered one of the most beautiful, complicated, and important places of encounter happens with the blog. And this newfound hope of mine about blogging started with this gal. I'm Dr. Katherine Schmidt. I am an assistant professor of theology and religious studies at Malloy College in Long Island, New York. Dr. Schmidt is an old friend from our undergraduate days. She went on to get her PhD in theology from the University of Dayton. And her main academic area of interest, as it turns out, is digital technologies and their role in the church. And with that area of study comes the coolest name this theology nerd has ever heard. I feel like I read something on your Facebook that I thought was so cool. This was right when you started teaching. It was like you're the president of your university. What did he call you? He called me a digital theologian. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. (laughs) Which I I have really yet to figure out exactly what he thinks that means. And I, I don't know if it is completely what I think I am, but it's a kind of a cool title. And it's a really I, cool title. I should probably run with it more than I have been, but yeah, that was the first for me. So Now, like I mentioned, when I began putting together this series, I started in a bit of a dark place. I did not have high hopes for the blog world, and I was just really overwhelmed with the divisions that I saw within it. I looked at Catholic digital communities and I just thought, ugh, we are no better than anyone else. (laughs) I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit pretentious, but I was just so frustrated with some of the divisions, the attacks, the character assassinations, and just frankly, the all around lack of charity in what seemed like basically every realm of the internet. So I began asking the question that I think many of us have asked over the last year or so. How on earth did we get here? To answer that question, I wanted to first find out about the history of the blog itself. I mean, do you all even know what blog stands for? So I think that it's best to understand the blog in a much longer history of internet culture. So, you know, the blog, which is short for web log, um, really does come out of things like LiveJournal or Zanga, which were sort of private, daily, semi-private, daily reflections that people would publish. They'd sort of found an avenue for self-publishing. But those journals, those kind of daily reflections, are actually um, a development from things like listservs and message boards. As Dr. Schmidt points out, to understand the history of the blog, we have to have a knowledge of how the blog fits in with the history of the broader internet culture. 
And in these early days, the days of listservs and chat rooms, it became very natural for people to want to share their thoughts and experiences, especially with people with similar interests. Yet what started out with a small group of people sharing their interests and experiences, the internet soon became the single greatest technological influence of many of our lifetimes. Something that we often take for granted because it's simply there all the time. The listserv to the message board to the live journal to the blog is really like, you know, kind of widening circles of influence that people, it used to be, and this is the case for internet culture in general, that it used to be a very niche thing. It used to be very particular to, you know, a subset of people. And it actually, it's it's what I what I call the becoming ordinary of, of the internet, that it becomes an ordinary part of uh, of people's lives. And as the influence of the internet began reaching farther and farther into our everyday lives, it was only a matter of time that people's live journals, listservs, and blogs started making the rounds. By the mid to late 2000s, some of the most popular websites on the internet began as someone's personal blog. I think a great example of this are just the wildly popular home and design blogs. And in particular, though, for today, our discussion, this includes several Catholic writers. You know, people blog about what they care about. And if you are a person of faith, and you care about God and you care about issues of faith. And so you're going to inevitably try to find outlets for that. Um, what's sort of wonderful about blogging and I think even social media and other sort of online platforms is that it, it gives people a space to write in a way that maybe they, they weren't able to and, and a space to, to form communities. Catholic writers from all walks of life, from different intellectual and spiritual backgrounds, slowly started finding one another in our digital spaces. Now, I think at this point, it might be important to just take a brief step back and follow this storyline in two different directions. On the one hand, blogs became immensely popular among the faithful who, like anyone else, enjoyed forming new friendships and communities with those with similar beliefs and in similar walks of life. Take, for example, the Catholic Mommy blog. Now, I know this is a phrase so many people can't stand, and I'm sorry, but just go with me for a second. Digital communities, particularly Catholic blogs, focused on important topics within parenthood, such as NFP, children's education, homeschooling, celebrating liturgical feasts, all of this. And the blog finally gave a platform to parents, particularly moms, who for one reason or another couldn't find that same level of support and encouragement in their own parishes. It's been very difficult to maintain those communities over time within the confines of a parish. And so I think that there you're finding spaces for people who are really kind of hungry for space to have community with one another. And of course, this isn't limited to just the Catholic parenting communities. Bloggers from all sorts of genres, from apologetics to recent converts to Catholic singles and even Catholic priests, they all started using the platform of the blog to find support, prayer, and encouragement. But there is another narrative in this story that is equally important. And that's how the church itself, what we might call the institutional church, responded to blogging. I want to jump ahead for just a minute to an interview with Father John Hollowell. He's a priest for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and he's been blogging for many years at On This Rock. 
Now, we'll be hearing more from Father John in later episodes. But there was one aspect of our chat that I think is an important place to begin for our discussion on how the church itself has responded to the rise of the blog. During our chat, Father John was telling me about his hero, Pope Benedict XVI, who he had followed since his seminary days when he was just Cardinal Ratzinger. But in Father John's first year of priesthood, Pope Benedict asked for something a bit unexpected. Early on, uh, actually in my first year of priesthood, I was assigned to a Catholic high school to teach. And um, so I remember very vividly uh, coming across um, one of his messages that he had released that particular day. It was actually for World Communications Day where he specifically spoke to priests, and he said uh, something, I think he mentioned blogging by name, which I had always kind of thought of as a thing where you, you know, you share pictures of your dinner. Now, I happen to love food blogs. Thank you very much, Father John. (laughs) But what I love about Father John's story is what he decided to do next. You know, there was my hero calling, calling priests specifically uh, to start blogging and using other forms of social media and communication. And so I, I, I did. I jumped in and um, just I didn't really know what to do other than uh, post my homilies from the weekend. And so I started filming my homilies. Father John listened to Pope Benedict's call to the faithful, specifically priests, to engage with their flocks through the blog. Now, this was so fascinating to me because I think we in the church often encounter less than positive views about social media and the internet from our leaders. In fact, sometimes it seems like the church can't seem to figure out what it actually believes about the use of digital technologies in their communities. We often hear the groans and the moans from folks within our faith communities who see digital media, specifically the blog, as an unnecessary and perhaps even detrimental platform to communicate the faith. Dr. Schmidt, thankfully, sees things a bit differently. What I've tried to argue about technological culture, digital culture, um, is that, you know, the church is always caught up in whatever moment of history. And and in terms of missionaries, in terms of sort of digital mission work, it's, it's really no different than any other type of mission work insofar as, you know, wherever you are in the world at whatever time, you're always going to be caught up in the trappings of that culture. And so, you know, it's really just about how we negotiate that and how we think about the relationship that it has towards our missionary activities. So what should this relationship look like? The relationship of our digital spaces, particularly the block, and our evangelical mission as a church? Well, the answer begins, of course, with our leaders, both local and broad, who need to develop a more positive and comprehensive understanding about the role of technology and their flocks, just like Pope Benedict insisted. I think that the first place to start is that pastors and pastoral associates and people within parishes have to really think about their own philosophies of technology. They have to be willing to ask questions. And I say this because so often I will be at mass or I'll be in parish settings 
where usually older folks, but like people who are in leadership positions denigrate technology. I think we all probably have experiences similar to Dr. Schmidt's. We've encountered people time and time again who think the church should somehow stand outside of digital engagement as if the internet is too unholy or vulgar. But I think that this is just the wrong path to take because like Father John and Dr. Schmidt have mentioned, The internet is here to stay, including blogs. And leaders and faithful alike need to come to terms with how to most effectively use technology so that we can respond to this unique moment in history. But I I just think about it simply in terms of what Pope Francis says about encounter, you know, that, that, you know, I, I... I, I don't know if, if it's a, what he means sort of over a digital platform, but if you think about the, the medium through which you encounter people on a daily basis, you know, how many people have I encountered today? And, you know, in those encounters, have I brought Christ to that person? That's a, that's a live question. And that, you know, this, this idea of encounter, I think that Francis has really brought into um, at least my mind. And I think uh, the church, you know, sort of the, broader imagination of the church is really a moment that's like sort of, I don't know, it's sort of perfect for this, for thinking about what it means to be social in general and what it means to be social in a relationship with technology. So if what Dr. Schmidt said is true, and she is, by the way, one of many, many people I've talked to who have echoed these same sentiments, then we need to start as a collective faithful community looking at the medium of blogging in different ways. If the internet has become so ordinary in our lives, then imagine the reaches something like blogging could have in a theology of encounter. But we find ourselves ending where we began. Something has probably been seeping into your mind as you listen to this story, the big elephant in the room, if you will. If blogging allows us to engage with others frequently, what if that engagement or these spaces of encounter are no longer welcoming and charitable? What if blogging is actually contributing to the partisan divide so evident in our digital and our parish communities? Or in other words, is the medium of blogging doing more harm than good? Next time on Mystery Through Manners. Thank you, as always, to my partner for this podcast, my husband, Ryan, to Kate Beek for helping get this podcast off the ground. Thank you to Dr. Katherine Schmidt on her incredible insights and guidance through this series. And thank you, of course, to Sean Garrison for his music. Please, please visit our website for more information on the blogs for this series and the music we use. God bless you, and we will see you next week.